So many things have ruined my childhood So I go on like to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh-huh, uh-huh. Predators, uh-huh. Marvel, uh-huh. DC, uh-huh. Maybe it doesn't all quite fit Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks Could it be I've misunderstood This podcast ruined my childhood Hello everyone and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo and with me this week for our retrospective into our spooky season of Halloween, we're going to be talking to two of our favorite spooky brothers from another mother. First off, Mr. Hunter Fagan is here with us. Hey, I'm excited to be here, Phil. It's It's been a long time coming. I've, I've really been looking forward to... Uh popping on and discussing something hopefully horror related and here we are yeah yeah i'm very excited and and our other brother from another mother is mr andy de genova happy halloween everyone i'm enjoying this balmy october evening do you know why we celebrate halloween a long long time ago it was a night of great power When the days grew short, all across the land, huge bonfires were lit. Oh, there was a marvelous celebration. And they dressed up in costumes, hoping to ward off the evil spirits, especially the boogeyman. So this week, everybody, on this podcast, Ruin My Childhood, we're going to take a look back for Halloween week to one of the most interesting entries into the actual Halloween franchise, Halloween 6. Now, it's it's subtitled The Curse of Michael Myers, um, and, and I don't know if it's really about the curse of Michael Myers. I think it's about the curse for all of us having to experience it, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. So... Gentlemen, the reason that I really wanted you to be on this podcast with me t- uh, to discuss Halloween is because we go way back talking about horror movies in general, and Halloween seems to be one that we've just circled several times over as one of our, our favorites of all time. And so, um, Hunter, can you can you give everybody out there an idea as to what Halloween means to you and if you remember the first time you saw the original Halloween film? So yeah, Halloween is very interesting because I feel like horror has such a place in the just general like pop culture zeitgeist. I, I mean, Halloween has has always been popular here in the states, but like growing up in uh, in, in the '90s and everything like that, Halloween was already uh, had been established for quite a while as this big like commercial force right like halloween was just like this big thing and it's it's only gotten bigger since then and with that you get the the horror icons right so from a young age i feel like a lot of us are just keenly aware okay this is michael this is jason this is freddie this in my case like this is the crypt keeper who's still one of my favorites but um so with halloween it's kind of something that's that's always there and 
and I, I, I kind of talked about this. Uh, I was fortunate on Grim Grinning Host. We did a podcast not that long ago where we talked about our uh, top five perfect horror movies. And on there, for the first time, I actually ever talked about my first horror movie and what I thought it was. And coincidentally enough, um, looking at the timeline, I actually think it was The Curse of Michael Myers. Now, granted... Let me say this. I don't think I was, uh, well, I definitely know I wasn't watching The Curse of Michael Myers. However, it's just enough to see that mask at a young age where you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't bother with this guy. Um, so Halloween has kind of been something that's always stuck around. But as far as when I actually made it back to the 1978 Halloween, the classic, the, the one that everyone loves, it feels like, um, I didn't actually see that until my teen years. Um I just kind of went through this period where horror uh, wasn't quite the thing that I was interested in. And then I feel like it happens this way for a lot of people. You reach your teens and you're just kind of looking for that thrill and then horror is kind of there. So I've been watching Halloween um, on and off for the last ooh, maybe like 12 years, um, which, which probably doesn't sound that long for those of you who have been around for 30 plus years watching it. But yeah. Halloween is one that has made it into my regular rotation. It is one that I always watch on Halloween or the night before if I have something going on the night of Halloween. And um, I, to be perfectly honest, it's one of those that I watch um, as probably up to five times a year just because it's one of those wow. comfort movies and it's it's one that you enjoy so much. Um, now, granted, as we're about to dive in, the franchise, a little bit of mixed results. So I'm excited to talk about that and for you. But yes, that classic is, uh, it's a classic for a reason. And it's its a staple of my library. Sure. Yeah, thank you. It it definitely create, it basically created a new genre. Um, and we're very lucky and fortunate that we, we received that Halloween movie um, to really spawn the era of slashers in the way that we know it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, all of us here are very savvy. So, like, we know, like, the first slasher technically goes back to, like, Black Christmas, and then Texas right. kind of set the blueprint. But when you're talking about the modern slasher, which is mm -hmm. crazy because we're 42 years removed from it now, <laughs> but um, you're, you're talking about John Carpenter's Halloween. That is what really set the masked man or, or monstrous man killing teenagers like that. That's yep. what set the, the, the flow in motion. It sure did. So Andy, what are your memories of the original Halloween? I know it holds a very special place in your heart. Yeah. Strangely though, the, the first Halloween film, I also came to a little late, a little later than you would think. It wasn't something that I had watched a lot as a kid. I just sort of had a passing knowledge of it and the character. I honestly think the first time I ever knew the character of Michael Myers was when I saw a TV commercial for Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And I, I remember seeing that commercial and just seeing the white face Especially there was a shot where he walks and he looks up the stairs and I was like, oh, I don't know who that is, but I'm afraid of him. And that TV spot gave me nightmares. I had never seen a Halloween movie yet, but that TV spot did it. Gave me gave me scary dreams. Wow. Then I remember I, I don't remember how it came up, but having a conversation with my grandma Ruth and she said, she was talking about horror movies and how stupid they all were. And she goes, and, and this is my grandma, right? She goes, except for the first Halloween, that was a really scary movie. 
And so I was like, huh, even my grandma likes the original Halloween? That's surprising to me. And so it wasn't until I was a teenager. We had a, it was like a Friday night. I invited a bunch of friends over and we were going to, you know, order pizza, rent movies, because that's what you do when you're a teenager, or at least when you're a good kid or a exactly. Girl. That's sure. what you do. Um, <laughs> so in the 90s, exactly. late 80s for sure. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so I didn't see it till I was a teenager like Hunter, but when I was a teenager, Hunter wasn't born yet. So I still <laughs> came to it way before Hunter. Same um, here. <laughs> so we rented it and we watched it and, you know, with the lights out and it was one that we actually watched because, you know, sometimes you, you have friends over and you're, you're talking and you're goofing off and you're half watching the movie, but we actually did watch it. And I got so sucked into it and I got so just like, really, I was enraptured by the movie. And then when the movie was over, you know, people started going home and everything. And I, I walked, we walked a friend home or something, but I just remember it was late at night and we went and we were walking the streets of my hometown. And because we had just watched Halloween, every dark corner or dark alley, I just imagined the shape was there and I was so scared, but in like a really fun way. And so, and then that night, like I had a hard time sleeping because I just kept picturing him in the dark corner or in the closet. And like, it really terrified me as a teenager, just that thought that he was always lurking just somewhere in the dark. I just knew he was there. And so I got obsessed with it. I loved it. Uh, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is easily my favorite horror movie of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. It's the movie that I have purchased more than any other movie in my life. Um, because anytime they would come out with a new version, I would buy it. So like, I think the very first version I bought was one like blockbuster videos special for nine 99 or something. But then every new VHS, I had to buy it. And then we started repeating the pattern on DVD and eventually Blu-ray and Yes, I've, I've bought it so many darn times, but I don't regret it. So I fell in love with the film, and it made me fall in love with John Carpenter. It made me fall in love with the franchise. It made me fall in love with the icon of Michael Myers or The Shape. Um, and yeah, so it's one, like Hunter said, I, I, I save it through the Halloween season to watch right around Halloween because it's the perfect film for the holiday. And yeah, I think that it is a amazing film and uh, holds up. 42 years later. Completely agree. And and I'm right there with you, Andy, for my experience as well. I and, and Hunter too. I mean, it's hard to say that a child would actually be watching a horror movie. Now, that's not to say that that doesn't happen out there. The first horror movie I ever saw was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes at like five years old or four years old. And, <laughs> but I, I saw this movie as an early teen, 13, 14 years old. And my friend Jesse back in New York, he he was the house to go to to watch movies that my parents wouldn't let me watch. Um, everybody. We all have that friend. Yeah, all of our friend group knew we could go to Jesse's house because <laughs> Jesse's parents had R-rated movies and horror movies. And like we knew that their, his parents let him watch these. So if we went for a sleepover, we could watch them. So that was really all, always what we did. We went to Jesse's house and he lived in like literally in the woods. His house was a neighborhood that was just in New York, in, in upstate New York, just cut through woods to make all these houses. And so his downstairs, 
um, which was where they had the TV and VCR room where we would sleep, do a sleepover and sleep in sleeping bags on the floor and watch TV. It was right beyond the TV. So the TV was in a corner of the room and there was a sliding glass door that led out to their backyard, which was, they were on like a hundred acre plot of just woods behind them. And so we would always at night go out and do bonfires and roast marshmallows and stuff like that and play in the woods as kids do. But every time we'd go watch a horror movie, his backyard terrified me because we'd be asleep on the floor and there'd be some kind of weird movement from, you know, the, the trees, the, the moonlight through the trees that's coming through the, the sliding glass door. And I just remember so many different instances of watching horror movies there and feeling in, in a fun way, terrified afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so the first one that we ever watched at his house was Friday the 13th, which seemed pretty perfect being in the woods. Sure. But um, the second, I am positive, was Halloween. And so really, my, my second horror movie as a teenager was this amazing film that just completely made me fall in love with the genre, and I haven't looked back since. Oh. So everything you both said, Michael Myers is just an iconic villain. He is terrifying. His mask has changed over time. Some what? for better, some for worse. What? But- <laughs> I didn't notice. That's... That doesn't sound right, Phil. No. Nobody in the costume department would ever screw that up, right? He, he has not aged but... a day. That mask, same. <laughs> it's the same inside-out Shatner mask uh, that it always has been. But there's just something about Michael Myers that is both parts terrifying and fun. And um, I will watch any entry of the film that is made. And whether or not I like them is a different story, but I will definitely be in line to watch them. Yeah. And so Halloween, the original Halloween was the first of the franchise I ever watched. And then we went on a binge and watched all the ones that were out up to that time. And what's funny is that when I was 13, it was uh, 1994. So The Curse of Michael Myers would have been coming out the next year. So I, I wouldn't have been able to see it in theaters at 14, but I would have been excited to see it on VHS when it came out sometime in 95, 96. And I will tell you, I do remember seeing Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers on VHS within like the first week or two that it came out on VHS. And I I just remember being let down. What? I remember being confused. I remember being a little upset. Because I really liked Halloween 1 and 2 were at the time my favorite horror movies. And then Halloween 3 was such a weird entry that I liked it, but I didn't like it as a Halloween movie. I just liked it as a a movie for the Halloween season, as I think we all can agree on. Mm -hmm. Um, We should do that one someday. Halloween 4. I know know Hunter has a lot to say. For sure. Yes, I do. Always. Halloween 4 and 5, though, were such weird departures from one and two that I increasingly disliked them. And then Halloween six, when I watched that, I just like, I I wanted to distance myself from the franchise and not really look back. And, you know, because of Halloween six, we didn't get another one for a couple years. I feel like six, six is where they really reinvigorated the franchise. It was really brought it back to the basics, (laughs) which I like about this entry. It's my favorite thing about it is they're like, let's not complicate it. 
Let's just do what worked in the first one. We need cults. We need constellations. We need druid runes. That's what people are asking for, guys. That's what Michael's all about. We finally cracked the code. It, yeah. So what are, your, what are both of your memories of, of seeing this and how it made you feel with a franchise that you, you undoubtedly, as we've already spoken, loved? So I, I, I saw this one pretty much in order um, because when I decided to do my Halloween deep dive um, and this was, I did not hit every movie in this franchise until um, a couple years ago, actually in preparation for Halloween uh, 2018. So th- these are all still relatively fresh to me. I've probably seen each one the the lowest amount of times I've probably seen each one is probably about three times. Um, Halloween and Halloween two are still kind of like the pinnacle of it for me. I do love Halloween three, but if we're only talking about the Myers films, we'll, we'll put that one to the side right now. Um, so I actually went, I, I saw the cult, uh, or excuse me, the, the thorn trilogy. <laughs> um, I, I saw all those back to back to back. Um, and I actually, <laughs> The cult trilogy, we'll call it that. I think that's what they call the United States right now. Um, yeah, but yes, yeah, I think you're right. The, the Thorn trilogy, I saw all in succession over three nights. Um, so Halloween 4, I know you said you weren't crazy about that one, Phil. I actually really dig Halloween 4. Um, I, I think Halloween 4, Andy and I have discussed Preach. several several times. Preach. But like, Andy and I agree that like... <laughs> You fix the mask, and like that's a pretty great Halloween movie. Uh, I, I'm not, yeah, yeah, no shame in that here. I even love Terminator Michael, where he just like headbutts the fuck out of that windshield. Like that's great stuff. Um, yeah, Halloween Five. I will say, out of the entire trilogy, not to not to give too much away, I really don't like Halloween Five. I I think it's it's pretty abysmal. Um, I think. Halloween five has an awful mask. I'm not crazy about Michael in it. And the story is just really weak. It's where they went down the, it felt like that's where they really went down the Friday, the 13th rabbit hole where like some of these characters, um, whether you're talking about um, a Friday, the 13th comparison, like a new blood, new blood is kind of the one where you're like, man, I just don't like any of these people. And Halloween five is like that for me. I uh, I just don't like it at all. I think it's it's pretty bottom of the barrel. There are movies I like less, uh, namely Resurrection and, and Rob Zombie's Halloween, but Halloween 5 really mm-hmm. struggles to get a watch out of me. Um, so Halloween 6, I know we're kind of joking about like how weird this movie is, but like it's also kind of weird because that's where they were ridden into to doing it. Like this movie, people kind of forget now just because we've had access to it on home video. But there was a huge time gap between Halloween five and Halloween six. Right. Um, and there were so many just like random things, whether that's the man in black or the the cold of thorn symbol that like they're just like, OK, we'll we'll just figure it out in the next movie. So like this movie is kind of like, oh, I guess we've got to kind of do that um, before we completely nix the franchise with H2O and, and just decide to forget all of it. Um, so it's it's kind of weird by design, by by default, but I respect it for at least being something a bit different and over time this this is interesting because i never thought i would say this um i've developed a slight fondness for it just because it is one of the weird outliers in the franchise it's very rarely the one that i'm going to grab and put on but 
it is there and I don't mind watching it ever. If I do watch it, I normally have a pretty decent time with it. And um, I, I like it for what it is. And, and I'm excited to kind of delve into it a little bit with you guys. Sure, sure. Andy? Well, first, I've got to express my... Hmm, I don't like the term the Thorn Trilogy because it doesn't even work. Because there's no, no mention of Thorn or implication of Thorn in part four. And as what you were alluding to, Hunter, part six technically follows five but also feels like its own thing like it it's barely connected so it's like i kind of lump them as like one and two and then three off you know in off the deep end doing its own then four, thing, yeah. <laughs> then four and five kind of go together then six is its own random thing and then seven kind of brings it back like it's just all over the place. So it's just weird to think that four five and six are now considered by horror fans as a trilogy because I'm like, God, like it doesn't really work as a trilogy. I get it. Like to, to make it clean. But for me, I, I have issues with it because yeah, Thorne's not even part of four. Um, like what you said, Phil though, is, is I fell in love with Halloween and that made me dive into the rest of the franchise. So yeah, of course I found Halloween too. Halloween three. I was definitely in the camp that was like, what is this? But I remember the only reason I watched Halloween three, because I already knew, I already knew its reputation. The only reason I watched it is because it was October. I wanted to watch a Halloween movie. Uh, I went to Blockbuster and it was the only one not rented because nobody wanted to watch three at that time. (laughs) Yeah. So I watched it and I remember going, I get why people don't like it, but I think it's kind of cool. It's just, it's just not what you want from a Halloween movie. But again, that's another episode. Um, but anyway, so I sort of like fell down and I watched all, I watched the entire franchise, you know, one by one by one. But the reason that six is special and six, it's because it was the first Halloween film I got to see in a movie theater. Because I am just a couple years older than Phil. So I was like 16, maybe 17. No, I think 16 um, when it came out. And so I was excited to finally see a Michael Myers movie in the movie theater. And so I went to see it and I thought it was great because I was just excited to see it in the theater. And so I remember going to see it and I thought it was awesome. I had a great time with it. I went and bought the soundtrack. I listened to that soundtrack like every Halloween season for most of my teenage life. And then after seeing it, I remember I, that was, you know, I was in high school, so I was working at Pizza Hut. And I remember coming back to Pizza Hut and there was another guy there who was a big movie buff and we spent all our time at Pizza Hut just talking about movies. And I told him I went and saw it. He goes, oh, you know, how was it? And I was like, oh, it was great. <laughs> and... So he went and saw it like the next next couple nights and then hated you. And he comes back to me and he's like, oh, my, he's like, dude, you told me it was great. And I was like, what? It was it was scary. And he's like, dude, it was horrible. I'm like, oh. And so, like, at the time, it was just like I just got wrapped up and like, yeah, I'm seeing Michael Myers on the big screen. Um, and then as the years have gone by, like, it's not good. It is all over the place. It is one of those, and I think maybe we'll get into it after we after we get through this little section. Um, I think there's a lot. I think there's 
there's a lot that doesn't work, but there are a couple things that surprisingly do work. And I think that if you had just stayed with that, you could have had a pretty solid entry. Um, but I am just a sucker for Michael Myers. And I think Michael Myers is scary as hell. So as long as I'm watching a Halloween movie and there's some really cool, scary scenes of Michael Myers, I'm pretty happy. And the stories, you know, some are good, some are bad. A lot of them are in the middle. Like that was less important to me, especially at that time when I was 16. Now looking at it, you know, it's a much more mixed bag. And I do think it is on the the lower end of the franchise. Um, but I can still enjoy it. I can still pop it in uh, and watch it. I Again, I think there's some stuff that I'm just like, why, like, why did you guys think this was necessary? What are you doing? But then there's stuff where I'm like, oh, man, I don't know, man, that that shot of Michael is still pretty damn scary. I don't like it, which just means I do like it. You know, like I'm afraid of that and I, that makes me happy. So I actually like pretty much for the entire <laughs> the entire franchise minus the two zombie films. I can pretty much watch any of them because I'm just that big of a whore for Michael Myers. <laughs> well, the world's lucky to have people like you, Andy. <laughs> I should say this franchise is lucky to have people like you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I will never say, oh, Halloween 6, man, so underrated, so underappreciated. You guys got to give it another shot because it's actually really great. I'll say that for Halloween 4, but I won't say that for Halloween 6 because I'm like, no, it's it's not a good movie, but it's also a not a very good movie that I will watch almost every Halloween season. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So for me, I, I don't hate Halloween 4, so I don't want that to come across. Um, I just, it's just subpar when you have a return to this beloved character and, um, you know, he was so good in one and two and then we skip three for him and he's back in four and it's just not, it's not the same feeling. Like I don't feel the same Michael Myers in Halloween four. And I think that's where, where it's stuck in my head, but I still enjoy it and I'll watch it a million times. I shouldn't, I shouldn't over-exaggerate. I'll watch it a hundred times over Halloween five or six. Halloween 5 is also, for me, I, I think Halloween 5 and 6 are basically on the same playing field of my disdain for them, uh, or dislike for them, I should say. <laughs> um, I, I just don't understand why the man in black has to be a thing, and this thorn mark has to be a thing in 5 that it's introduced, and then how off the rails they go with it in 6. And I, I do want to mm. take a second to say that there are, for those of you that don't know, two versions of Halloween 6 out there. There's the theatrical version, which came out in 1995, and then there is a producer's cut, which was um, a, a whole different ending, a vastly different movie. I, well, I shouldn't say vastly, but it's a different movie compared to what we got in the theatrical cut. And, you know, I know we, we kind of went back and forth talking about what we each like better, and I'd just like to get that out there for everybody. I, I will watch the producer's cut over the theatrical cut any day of the week. And I will only watch Halloween six once every like five years or so. So that one day of the week that I'll watch it every five years will only be the producer's cut. Um, sure. Where, where do you both sit on it? I, I think the best cut to be honest is uh, if you have to watch uh, one of the two, I prefer to watch the theatrical cut 
Um, however, the reason for that is I'm a simple man. And if I'm going to watch a bad horror movie, I at least want to see something brutal happen in it. And, uh, <laughs> at least the theatrical cut provides that. However, I will say I have a habit of watching. There's a kind of like a popular horror community YouTuber, uh, that goes by drum dumbs. And he has done a cut called the blue Myers cut. Um, which basically is a fan edit. And and we're only talking about the official releases here, but that is the one that I will go to. And and the reason for that is, um, in my opinion, that is the best version of this movie is kind of, okay, here's the producer's cut. Here's the theatrical cut. And we've kind of melded them together. I still don't think it's a perfect movie, but I actually think that 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 fan edit really is the kind of the definitive way to watch it. And anyone that's listening that that hasn't checked that out, please go look it up. Once again, that's called the Blue Myers cut. But um, so, yeah, when it comes to which one of these am I going to grab off my shelf and pop in, it's it's most likely going to be the theatrical cut. Um, however, the producer's cut also does have things that I like, um, but once again, the few times that I pop it in, I'm, I'm going to go for something that's got a little bit more action to it. Um, and, and for me, that's the theatrical cut. So the producer's cut was like mythic when this movie came out. And I had heard about it and it was sort of, you know, again, it was sort of the, the infancy of the internet. I remember reading about it and there were some screen grabs of the producer's cut. And I was like, oh my God, I need to get a copy of this. And so I somehow... I found one online where I could buy it and I bought a VHS copy of the producer's cut. So like these were the old days, the bootleg days where I actually had to get a copy, like a physical copy. And I watched it and I was so excited because I was like, okay, like now I'm going to get the good version of this movie and it ain't good. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) it ain't good. (laughs) no, I thought it was going to be like, yeah, I thought, oh, we're going to fix the problems. No, man. Like, it, it, this is like, it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, I'm with Hunter. If I'm going to watch one, I'm going to choose the theatrical cut because here's why. I think that I have not seen this, the, you know, this amalgam cut that Hunter mentioned, but I would imagine that is the best version because I feel like, so I wasn't going to watch the producer's cut before we recorded this, but then we delayed this recording by a week. And so I was like, well, what the heck? I'll watch the producer's cut. So I, I, it's nice and fresh now. And I feel like the first two thirds of the movie are better in the producer's cut. Mm-hmm. But yeah. those differences are pretty subtle. It's, it's the, the more traditional score and the kills aren't as over the top. And those are the biggest changes there i mean there are a couple other little things jamie survives a little longer um there's some more flashbacks but like for the most part i feel like the first two thirds are slightly better in the producer's cut but like not significantly better just slightly but i would say if you're going to put that next to each other producer's cuts probably a little better but then the final act is where it's 100 different and the final act of the producer's cut is just nonsense it's terrible And I completely understand why they had those test screenings and people were throwing stuff at the screen going, what is this garbage? Because that final act in the producer's cut, I'd be throwing stuff at the screen too. It's, it's nonsense because 
all the things I don't like about this movie are what I already referred to. It's why is there a cult that's protecting Michael Myers? Why is there a cult that made Michael Myers impregnate his niece? Why are there like, why is there a constellation that controls Michael Myers? What are with these runes? Like the, the finale of the movie is literally Paul Rudd, like, rolling runes on the ground like they're D&D <laughs> dice trying to protect himself from Michael Myers. It's ridiculous. It makes That's the climax of your Michael Myers movie? It's nonsense. At least in the in the theatrical cut they completely reshot the ending and it it sort of ironically throws away a lot of the cult stuff that had been built up because the audience rejected that and but at least it's more exciting. And it's cool. Like there's a great scene in the theatrical cut where there's all these doctors and it's these, these doctors who are essentially trying to control Michael and he just goes in and destroys them all. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like that, that's what I'm paying for. Um, so yeah, like if I'm going to pick, I feel like the differences up until the third act are almost negligible, but the ending is, is what you got to stick. And I think the ending of the theatrical is just so much more satisfying than the one in the producer's cut because the producer's cut like they're doing this stupid cult ceremony and michael's just standing by watching like like he's at church <laughs> well they like, what did they say hey michael man michael michael stand over there we'll let you know when it's your time like just hang out we're, we're gonna do the ceremony and michael's like okay sounds good i'll just be over here let me know when you want me to kill the baby <laughs> sam hayne sam hayne <laughs> I, it's cool guys thanks thanks for protecting me i'll just i'll just do what i'm told i'm michael myers <laughs> yeah so i let me give my reasoning <laughs> because the ending is trash but i i think the differences in the producer's cut for the first two-thirds of the movie make it a more digestible film and that's probably why i like it better i like loomis having the voiceover in the beginning rather than a fresh yeah, oh, totally. 100%. Red. I just something about more Loomis makes me happier and he's in the producer's cut yep. a little bit more um, they also fill out some of the questions about the man in black which leaving some of that on the cutting room floor is fine if it's a standalone movie but because he was integral to part 5 I just like that they explore who the man in black was a little more and that just feels like it ties it up with a bow a little bit better, um, but but I, I I agree that the ending is terrible. The D and D dice on the floor is hilarious. That's the the best way to put it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's and, and oh my god. So so the other thing, the man in black, right? Okay, so. <laughs> I agree with you. Why was that even a thing? I don't know. I don't know whose great idea that was of like, oh, and then there's a mysterious stranger and we'll figure out who he is later. And, and it turns because out he's just a guy he, who has one line in the first movie. Right, right. Like, and I do remember when this movie came out and it was Mitch Ryan and I'm like, well, why the hell is Mitch Ryan in this movie? And I remember another friend of mine who was a horror fan who was like, who was like, yeah, it was the stupidest thing in the world because he is literally, they, they randomly add this very recognizable character actor to this movie in this throwaway part. Who the hell else is going to be the man in black? Right. Right. Like he's the only option. And then, yeah, like the whole, 
the whole thing of like, I mean, it doesn't make sense in either cut. So, I mean, that's just because the movie's terrible. But like his goal, like what's his goal? He just basically is like, oh, evil is power and I must control power. And it's like, but how? Like, what are you going to do to Michael? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to sick him on people you don't like? Like, what, what, what does that mean? Evil is power. It doesn't mean anything. And in the, but in the producer's cut where they're like, you know, he's been this cult leader this whole time. And he's like, hey, Loomis, it's your job. You're going to lead the cult now. At what point in six movies did Loomis ever give you the impression that he'd be interested in running a cult that protects Michael Myers? Never. He has made abundantly clear he wants to destroy Michael Myers. Why is he the one you want to take over this? What what is that? And then at the end of the producer's cut, when like Mitch Ryan's laying on the ground dead, and he's like, Now it's your game, Loomis. And the the the, the symbol magically appears on Loomis's arm. What? <laughs> what? So, Why? So, so ridiculous. <laughs> There's like like now the cult is like a like the court the, the curse of Thorn is passed down from what one child in the tribe that's what they say it's not passed down from one protector of the child in the tribe that doesn't even make sense nope (laughs) apparently the sequel to this like it it only got very early um in its development cycle but apparently it was going to be about like the whole town of haddonfield was in on it and like they're actively trying to protect Michael now because like the whole town is involved in the cult, which is crazy. I wanted to oh, kind of like chime in when we were talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it just keeps getting worse. Um, but like when you're talking about the theatrical, um, there, there's two things that I do prefer that are in the theatrical. That's one's kind of involved in the third act because it's the finale. Um, but the first thing and the least major thing, look, if you're going to kill Jamie, just like go ahead and do it. Like, I, I don't really like the producer. Especially like, if it's not Daniel Harris. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you have a new actress. If you're going to kill her, and, and I will say this, I actually really like that scene in the theatrical cut. I think that whole farmhouse scene, like the lighting and the mood for yeah. it, mm-hmm. really well done. Um, it's a shame that it's Jamie and I feel like that scene doesn't have the impact that it should because it's not Daniel Harris. Um, but anyways, and that, and that girl's supposed to be 15 years old in that scene. She's supposed to be 15. I don't buy it. (laughs) Um, no, no. Yeah. But, uh, I, I don't look, if you're going to kill Jamie, just go ahead and do it. Like, don't, don't save her for her just to be assassinated a little bit further on. I think that's kind of a misstep of the producer's cut. Like, okay, well, like have her survive into the, into the final act, if that's what you're going to do. Um, And then secondly, I think there is this weird, like circle coming together with the finale of Loomis and the theatrical cut. Um, I, I think that the, the final scene with the, the screaming over the Myers mask. And he's like, I've still got something left to do. Like, all of that, it's it's symbolic in, in a sweet way, just knowing that this was his final role and then like getting right into the credits where it says rest in peace, Donald Pleasance. Like, I do kind of like that. It, it's a nice, it's a shame it's not a better movie, but that little moment is a nice send off for that character. Yeah, I don't like how the producer leaves him alive. Yeah, it's just, and, and the way they had to edit the theatrical because they knew he was gone, um, they did what they could, but it's still, it's, 
I feel like there, you know, there could have and should have been a better send off for him, but they just couldn't because he because he died. So like, what are you gonna do? But it's a shame this is his send off because like he doesn't even get to share a scene with Michael. He and Michael don't even get to say goodbye to each other. <laughs> that's true. No, that's true. And that's why Halloween two is the end of is the end right. of Donald right. Pleasance's song. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. But I gotta say, like. I just, you know, I just told you like a bunch of stuff I don't like about this movie. Cause yeah, I just, I feel like what, like they just overcomplicated it to the point where it's not even what you came for. And again, like once, once I'm sitting there and I'm watching Mitchell Ryan in a black robe with a pointy Dr. Strange collar talking about druids. And I'm like, I came to see a Michael Myers movie. Like what, what's going on here? But okay. I got to say there are a couple things I like about it. Oh, 16 year old Andy liked it though. Yeah, 16-year-old Andy knew his shit, okay? It's old, bitter, 42-year-old Andy who thinks too hard about this stuff. Um, but to be fair, 16-year-old Andy in the theater did not see Mitchell Ryan in a black robe with a pointy collar because he saw the theatrical cut. Yeah. Um, but here's here's the thing is like the bones of the movie, like remove all the – remove the cult, remove the constellation, remove the curse, remove all that stuff – and if the movie was literally just about Tommy Doyle, you know, he was disturbed by what happened to him as a child and now he's obsessed with Michael Myers and Michael Myers comes home and now they're the Strodes living in the Myers house. That's your movie. That's all you needed to do. Like stick to that and you've got a solid Halloween sequel. It was all that extra nonsense you didn't need. Agreed. Agreed. Well, maybe there's a, a a super fan edit out there that we can make that's really only like 35 minutes long. Right. And it's just that. <laughs> yeah. But here's here's what I like, though. Okay. Number one, I like that it, it, it feels like fall. You know, it's surprising how many of these Halloween movies were not shot in fall, so they don't really look like fall. Um this one feels pretty fall, which I like. And what I like is that there are a couple really cool, scary moments with Michael. And again, that's how you get me. So I think he looks pretty good in this. He's not, he doesn't look his best, but he certainly doesn't look his worst. I think it, the look of him is okay here. But like the moment when the little kid, Danny, like they're over at, at Tommy's and he looks out the window and Michael's just standing there looking right back. Like, oh man, like that's awesome. Like that's, that's what I love about Michael Myers. Um, the moment where he gets knocked down the stairs and he's unconscious at the bottom of the scares, stairs and they've got to step over him. Like that's just really also scary, suspenseful. Like it's those moments that, or the moment where Kara, she's again, she's looking over and she calls her brother's girlfriend. She's talking to her on the phone. And she's like, Oh God, he's, he's in the room with you. Like there were enough cool, scary Michael Myers scenes that I was entertained. And I still think that there are those scenes actually work. It's just a shame they're attached to a story. That's just kind of stupid. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I also agree with what you both said earlier that the theatrical cut, the deaths are more pleasing to to the Halloween fans' eye. Um, they're just a little bit more brutal. A little like I think Andy, you were the one that said they're a little more over the top, and that's always a good thing when you come to a a movie like this where it's not a great movie, but the kills are great. You know, and I I think that was so intentional because. Obviously, in the producer's cut, they're not. They're a little more subdued, a little more, you know, just 
subtle, if you will, because Michael Myers has never really been about over the top deaths. Like even in four and five, when he started competing with Jason, like it never went full Friday the 13th. And I feel like when they had the test screening of the producer's cut and the deaths were fine, but not like crazy, uh, that, you know, that was a complaint because at that point, I think the audience was so used to watching Friday the 13th movie after one after another and how they could top themselves with the death scenes that that's why in the theatrical cut, they amped up all the, all those deaths, you know, like instead of the, the jerk dad just getting electrocuted, now his head explodes. Like they just really yeah. went for it to kind of satisfy the, the horror fans who were like, no, like this is what we came for. Which, even though that's not really Halloween at that point, you know, it might as well be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, you're completely right. And it is interesting because, like, anything in this movie had already been done uh, several, I mean, you're talking like seven years prior with Friday the 13th. And it's very interesting because Halloween was, like you just said, Halloween was never that. And then they're like, well, I guess we got to do something. So like Halloween was kind of late to the party on this one. When, you, when you're talking about the violence level, just because like they never had any plans to do that originally. Even in Halloween 2, you saw that. Um, you saw them feel the need to amp up the kills. Um, but again, like the franchise was never about the kills the way Friday the 13th was. But again, I just think that you ended up with a public who was trained to expect that now. And and whoever recut this movie or, or reshot it, like felt the need of like, oh, well, now that's what people want. So let's let's give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think what's interesting about th- films nowadays and, you know, on the, on the po- other podcast, Eric and I talk about how for newer movies that come out, you when you have any more than two writers, you're going to get inconsistencies and plot holes and things that just don't tie up. And what's interesting about this movie is that in the credits, there's only one writer listed, but the, the script, the script went through 11 drafts. And then at the end of the 11 drafts, they still had to re reshoot scenes for, to make the, what became the theatrical cut. So you can really see that, there were pieces and parts of different movies, none of them good, but <laughs> pieces and parts of different movies put together here to try to make a story. And they just got to a point where they were too late and had to get something out. Yeah. yeah. And like, even mm-hmm. looking at it retrospectively, like this is kind of the second time that this had happened um, that I can think of in the franchise because um, we kind of completely skipped over, but like, the same thing kind of happened with Halloween 2. I think Halloween 2 is a little bit more tasteful, but that one did release after kind of like the the mainstream slasher boom. And they're like, well, we got to kind of amp this up a little bit. Halloween 2 is nowhere on the level, in my opinion, to something like Friday the 13th. But that's kind of what audiences were expecting. And then come the 90s, mm-hmm. we had basically gone through a full decade of that kind of slasher violence so it was even more ramped up to then there is something to be said for the theater of the mind and you know that's what halloween uh, 78 does so well but even if we're talking in the franchise right. in general and we're talking about halloween 2018 that was one that 
in my opinion, like really towed the line and, and did it to its best ability as far as appealing to a modern audience, as well as kind of appealing to a classic Halloween, um, just due to a lot of those like deaths taking place off screen and everything like that. So it's kind of interesting because I think we've kind of hit a point where we can rely on the suspense and the tactics of like that original Halloween, but we've also amped it up to the point where like, Michael is curb stomping somebody, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Well, and it's yeah. interesting what you were saying about the writer, Daniel Farrens. And like, you can so tell that he had the best intentions with the, this movie and with the script. Um, I love that the parents are named John and Deborah after John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. I think that's awesome. Um, the, I think the idea of bringing in Tommy Doyle as a character was actually really smart. Like, there are elements where you go, okay, they really wanted to do something. And he said he was really trying to make a, a movie that bridged the first two films with then four and five. He sort of wanted to fill in the gaps there and make it all feel cohesive. And when you see the movie through that lens, you go, oh, I, I sort of get how he was trying to do that with Loomis and Tommy and Dr. Wynn. But then at the same time, Jamie Lloyd, like I, I see how he was trying to make those ingredients work. But then he even said, like, by the time the movie came out, he's like, I don't know where any of this stuff came from because I didn't write any of it. So like the, there, there are certainly touch points that were his, but you're right. Like there were so many hands on it. The movie is barely comprehensible. So again, even though I prefer the theatrical cut, theatrical cut, I understand that it makes probably even less sense than the producer's cut, but I just find it slightly more entertaining. But yeah, like because they just re-edited it to hell, it just lost everything, which is, is crazy. And then the other piece is that the director, who I don't have his name in front of me, Chappelle something, Joe Chappelle maybe? Yep. Joe, is that right? Joe Chappelle, yep. Joe That's Chappelle. Exactly right. um, he was not a Halloween fan. He just took the job because he wanted a three picture deal with dimension. And number one, I will say, I think he did a pretty darn good job considering he didn't really care about Halloween. Again, there are moments in there where you go, Oh great. Like that's a nod to the original film. Okay. Okay. I see what you're doing there. So like, I appreciate that. Like the moment I said, where it's like one of my favorite moments where Danny looks out the window and Michael's just standing there that's that's the moment with Tommy Doyle in the original film. He looks out the window and Michael's right. across the street. Like, but, uh, so I think he did okay, but it's just so funny that he wasn't all that invested in it. But what I love is that after this film, he directed Phantoms. So And Ben Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. We can thank Joe Chappelle for Ben Affleck being the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. You know, if you it didn't bring that up, it. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> so worth it. You know, you want to know something that's funny is that, unbeknownst to me, I didn't even pay attention to that. They were this that it, Joe directed both, but I bought Phantoms on Vudu about a month ago for two dollars, and I hadn't <laughs> watched it yet. And like maybe maybe three weeks ago, right? So I bought it about a month ago. Another week went by. I watched Phantoms at like one in the morning because I couldn't sleep on like a Friday or Saturday night. And I, I forgot how much I loved that movie when I was, you know, a teenager. I was like 17, I think, when it came out. But I digress. Um, I've never seen story. it, but I have it on good authority that Ben was the bomb. 
Oh, I've yeah. never seen it either, oh, yeah. but a uh, funny little backstory, I guess. Phil loaned me his Voodoo account so I could watch Edward Scissorhands because I, I apparently don't own it. And uh, I open it up and like underneath his resume playing, it's Phantoms. And I was like, oh, Phil. And I, had <laughs> and I was like, well, he made it 45 minutes in. He's doing OK. <laughs> well, I did finish it. I did finish it. There you go. <laughs> Did you question? You should definitely use that Voodoo account to watch it. No, I didn't question it. I was just like, man, you really have a lot of power when it's like when you check someone's like Spotify music history, and like Andy's listening to Hanson for like six days straight, and then you know it's it's appearing into your life. It's like it's like Catherine and I like we don't share an account, but like she'll log into my iTunes if she wants to watch a movie and she's like oh I see you're buying more movies I'm like what are you talking about and she goes well Uncle Buck didn't just magically appear and I'm like well maybe it did you don't know look they had a uh, they, they, they were giving away a free copy of Uncle Buck with every purchase and uh, <laughs> that's right advantage of it. You, you had to purchase Uncle Buck to get the free copy of it you know so <laughs> it is a great movie though um, so question for you guys. One of the differences between the two cuts is the theatrical cut has a new score where they like even beefed up the score. How do you guys feel about kind of like the heavy metal Halloween theme in the theatrical cut? So I actually like it. And the reason for that is, you know, and that's that's Alan returning to, to do the score yet again. But like the reason mm-hmm. I like it is we have... We, we've already had the, the main Halloween instrumental uh, done so many times. By this point in the franchise, like, I appreciate them doing something different. And, and that's really all it comes down to. I think it amps it up quite a bit. And that is one of the things that I do prefer about the theatrical uh, version. Interesting. So for me, I liked it when I saw the movie when I was a teenager. I think that was probably my you know, my teen angst phase where I was really into darker, heavier music. But rewatching them nowadays, I like the more traditional score. So I do like that they did a departure, that they um, did something a little different. And 20 years ago, I liked this version better, but um, or the theatrical version better. But nowadays, I just want my traditional Halloween score. Yeah, I'll say I, I like them both. So that's where I say, oh, it's kind of a wash because I love the more traditional one that's in the producer's cut because it's amazing what a difference it makes in making it feel more connected to the original film. Just just using the music really makes a huge difference. But I do like the crazy, weird, heavy metal version that they use in the theatrical cut too. Like I said, I bought that CD. I listened to it a lot. So there's certainly a big amount of nostalgia probably playing in here, but like, I don't know. It's kind of cool and unique and different and gives the theatrical version its own personality. So yeah, I, I can't really pick, I think as, I think as a film purist, I like the traditional one, but like for something weird and different, I like the, the new one, but yeah, it's interesting. I was just curious. Well, gentlemen, with that, I think uh, it's about time to wrap up, and and I need to ask that fateful question that we ask at the end of each of these episodes. So, Hunter and Andy, did Halloween 6 ruin what you knew about the Halloween franchise, and did it ruin your childhood? 
Uh, I'm gonna go with no. I <laughs> I feel like it. It's hard to ruin a movie as much of a classic as the original Halloween is. Um, it's it's really hard to take away from that reputation, regardless of how bad things got later on. And like I said, I don't think this is even the worst point of the franchise by quite a bit. Do I like this movie? Not really. Will I still watch it? Yeah, yeah, I will. So it didn't ruin <laughs> it for me. Um, but it's 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 towards the lower end, admittedly. Um, but no, no, the Halloween franchise is fun. I mean, if you had asked 16-year-old Andy coming out of the movie theater if it ruined his childhood, he would have told you it made his childhood. Nice. But uh, now, however many years later, I mean, here's the thing. I would argue, and I'm going to I mean, I'm sure someone will think of an exception and they'll email me, but every slasher franchise has gone off the rails at some point. And why not Halloween? You know, and for me, this is truly the off the rails moment. I mean, five, five is like two of the wheels off the rails, but six is all four wheels. Like, whatever. It happens to almost every big horror franchise by the time you get to installment number six. I appreciate the good parts. The bad parts I can laugh at. I don't really care. I mean, this movie was so, was so horribly received that in, in, for, for part seven, they threw it all out and were like, we're just never going to talk about that again. Um, and I understand why, but I can appreciate it. I can watch it. I can be entertained by it. I'll never say it's good. I'll never say you should definitely watch it, but I can watch it. Um, I, I agree with you guys. It's, it's definitely on the, you know, it's one of the bottom. Like I have three that are the bottom and it's this, it's five and it's resurrection, but I never quite know how to rank them. Um, so it's certainly one of the worst, but again, it just, it speaks to, to what a sucker I am that even though it's one of the worst, I'll still watch it and it's not going to make me mad. But yeah, like when I watch the first one, do I ever go now? How does this work with Thorn? No, I don't do that. And I try to never do that. And that's the smart thing. So it didn't ruin my childhood either. Um, it definitely, it, when, when I was 14, 15, it gave me pause. I knew I didn't want to watch it again for a long time. And I can honestly say, so Hunter, you, you started watching these a couple years ago and have watched it three times in total. I saw it in 1995 or 96 and didn't watch it again until about six years ago, five years ago. And then I watched both the producers and theatrical. Well, I watched the producers cut in full a couple weeks ago to, to prepare for this and then watched snippets of the theatrical cut just to remind myself what was different. And so it's not something I'm going to revisit. I've probably watched five only twice. And I don't know how many more times I'll watch five. Resurrection I've seen twice. Uh, Rob Zombies, both of Rob Zombies Halloween entries. I've only watched once and I don't see myself ever watching those again either. But um, those ruined it didn't my, ruin childhood. my childhood. I, yeah. Well, we'll get to those on another episode then. But we we have these, you know, the original movies, and then we're getting more content that is so great that um, I'm just excited to be a Halloween fan going into 2021. Yep. Here, here. As my dog agrees. So, Hunter, where can people find you if they wanted to catch up with you outside of this podcast? Sure. If you want to keep up with me, you can do that on a couple different podcasts. 
Um, so you can actually hear me and Andy on Disorder Every Disney Film where we're looking back at each Disney theatrically released animated film. There's a lot of qualifiers there. Theatrically released Disney animated films um, chronologically. We are actually uh, pretty far along, so there's a lot for you to go back and check out, and we probably already covered some of your favorites. Um, if you want to hear me just kind of cover pop culture and specifically theme parks, you can do that on Grim Grinning House. And finally, if you're into horror, particularly horror and theme parks, and you're a Halloween Horror Nights fan, you can check my show out, The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights, where we talk all things Horror Nights. If you just like me, and, uh, you know, thankfully, hopefully you do, anyways, uh, you can check me out on Twitter. At we we like you, Winter. Thank you, thank you. I uh, I specifically did this bit because of our Edward Scissorhands fiasco. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if if yeah. you like Hunter in general. <laughs> Hanbrolo77 on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, as, as Hunter just said, the three of us got together uh, recently-ish, depending on when you hear this, um, to talk about Edward Scissorhands on Real Fans for Real Movies. So... The three of us, if you like this dynamic, you can hear the three of us talk about Edward Scissorhands on that show. Um, Hunter just pitched Disorder to you, so I don't have to worry about that, but you can hear me there. You can also hear me on Holy Batcast, all about Batman and the DC Universe, as well as Why Not Futurama. So, so many shows. Um, And if you like me in general, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram. It's just my name, at Andy DiGenova, A-N-D-Y-D-I-G-E-N-O-V-A. Happy Halloween! Thank you. And for me, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And you can follow this podcast at Podcast Ruined. Just one word, Podcast Ruined. Just in time for Halloween, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast, and we hope that this podcast didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. What have they done to you? Where do we go now? As far away from Haddonfield as possible. Come with us. No, I I have a little business to attend to here. Dr. Loomis.